And um, I'm going to get used to this uh, weather. They said it would be cooler, they said. Cooler, they said. For some of you who don't know, we moved here from Tucson, Arizona. Um, it's about 45 miles north of hell. I mean, Hades or whatever word you want to call it. But it's hot. There's two seasons there, hot and hotter, okay? And uh, we, you know, been here just a couple of few weeks, and, and I was expecting fall, you know? Like, you know, fall, not just straight on winter. Then the wind blows at like 400 miles an hour, and it just goes straight through you. And, and I'm bald, you know, you know, no hair. And, uh, and that's cold, and it's just like, it's just cold. And then I see the weather, there was snow. I took my daughter to the airport yesterday. She's going to a wedding in Missouri. So I uh, took her to the airport on the way back, looking up in the mountains. There's snow up in the mountains. And I'm like, what month is this? Where did we move? You know, where, where are we right now? And then I hear there's snow in the forecast. And so uh, anyway, so uh, the truck is unloaded, so there's no running now. It's unloaded. So, yeah. So we're moved in. Thank you to those who've helped. Uh, we are moved in. We're finally in a, in a house. We're in a place. So uh, I guess you could say we are here to stay, all right, as long as you'll put up with us, all right? So we're here to stay. But God bless you. Welcome. Uh, we had some folks uh, visiting last week, and last week was Family Sunday. And they said one of the reasons why they wanted to try Red Hills is because they said some of the other services were too long. And I said, well, I, yeah, they said, and I was like, well, that's fine. I said, this was only, I said, I'm only preaching a 10-minute sermon. They said, well, I'm definitely going to come back then. And, uh, but what you, what you don't know is this week we're making up for last week, okay? So normally I preach about 45 minutes. Uh, I only preach 10. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss out. I want you to get your money's worth. So I think that probably puts us at like 80 to 90 minutes today. And all God's people said, yeah, right. We'll believe it when we see it. I'll keep it moving. So Matthew chapter 5, God bless you. Welcome. We're starting a new series uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. We won't cover the whole Sermon on the Mount, but we want to look at the Beatitudes. Uh, If I were to title this, it would be more than just the Beatitudes. It would be something like this, the Attitudes of a Blessed Man. And uh, we're going to look at these eight Beatitudes, but I'd like to just start by reading. And if you would just follow along, uh, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, this is where we have the account. It says this, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, here's the Beatitudes, there are going to be eight of them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
These are the Beatitudes, and we're going to start a brief series on these Beatitudes, but most of this morning will be introduction. We'll look at just one, and then each week we're only going to focus on one at a time because there's so much depth, there's so much to these Beatitudes. And so uh, would you bow with me as we have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in, and it will not be 80 or 90 minutes. We will keep on time, okay? So let's pray that God really uses his word to speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you. In spite of the cold weather today, we're so grateful for this day and the blessing of being here. Father, I pray that you bless your word. I pray you bless these beatitudes, these attitudes that every follower of Christ should possess. And I pray that you bless your word. May it speak to our hearts today. I pray that you'd watch over many in our church family who are traveling. We pray for safety. Uh, Watch over them. We pray for those that cannot be here. We pray for Uh, Those in our church family that are sick, we just pray for healing. We thank you for answer prayer. It's so awesome that Joyce could be here. The surgery has gone well. We just thank you. We we just rejoice and answer prayer. Now, God, I pray you bless your word. I pray that you would speak powerfully through the word. Help me to be a help and a blessing today. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk about this Sermon on the Mount. Now, the first thing I want to look at is, is this, is that ask a number of questions. Who is the preacher at the Sermon on the Mount? Anyone have an idea who is it? None other than who? Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who ever lived. So we're looking at the greatest, probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached. You know, you won't really find many sermons that Jesus preached necessarily. You'll find teachings and things, but this is one that's referred to as a sermon. There's not a lot of, if you will, sermons. And and this is a long sermon. It's, uh, you know, like five through eight, chapters five through eight. So three, three chapters of, of, of the sermon. If you were to read, it would take about eight minutes, depending on how long you read. Some people are faster than others. For me, probably 12 to 15 or something. I don't know. But, you know, a, a casual read is probably about eight minutes or so to read through this, this sermon. What many people believe is this is a paraphrased version. Jesus most likely taught for a long time, but this is a paraphrased version of the sermon. Let's think about this. When Jesus would gather to preach, there would be great multitudes. And this happened once again. A great multitude comes. Do you remember times when Jesus taught and he spoke? There were upwards of 10, 30,000 people because we understand that there was times where there was the feeding of the 5,000. And then there was the feeding of the 4,000. But both times, the Bible says, that didn't include women and children. And they had large families. Are you with me? And so if you add the women and children, they were huge multitudes that would gather to hear Jesus teach and preach. Once again, we see that many multitude of people gather to hear Jesus speak. And he's going to preach what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Again, this is a paraphrased version of what Jesus preached, most likely. This is not a word for word, but it's, it's the highlights he must have preached for quite a long time. Remember when he would preach to the multitude? Sometimes he preached for great length. And there was times where he said, well, it's getting dark and they're getting hungry. And then Jesus said, let's feed them. And so they were there sometimes for days listening to Jesus preach. Jesus must have been a powerful preacher. Are you with me this morning? Because I can't even listen to myself preach for more than 30 minutes or so. Um, but they sat and they listened to the words of Christ. So think about... This, this multitude, and think about as they gather to hear Jesus preach, one thing I want to emphasize is where this is at. It's, it's 
they call it the Mount of Beatitudes. It's near the Sea of Galilee, near the city of Capernaum, where, where Peter dwelled and where Jesus really used his, his ministry as a hub. But what I want to emphasize is a lot of times we talk about where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and it's a beautiful place. I've had the privilege of being there twice. It's a gorgeous place. It's a beautiful place. And, and it's kind of like, like, uh, like a natural amphitheater right into the side of the hill. And picture Jesus sitting at the top and, you know, and then speaking out. And it echoes down through like this valley. How beautiful it must have been. And it is a beautiful place. And you can see the Sea of Galilee out there in the distance. But what I want to emphasize is this. Where he did not preach the Sermon on the Mount if you will. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. But where he did not preach this great sermon. Let's just pause for a moment. Where do you think the most likely place would have been for Jesus, a spiritual leader, the Son of God, God in the flesh, where do you think would be the most likely place where he probably should have preached this sermon? If there was ever a place to preach this sermon, where do you, humanly speaking, think Jesus should have, should have preached this sermon? Any thoughts on that? In Jerusalem, and someone else said it, where? The temple. I mean, of all the places, this is where the Holy of Holies was. This is where, you know, they, they believed that God dwelt. And of all the places, Jesus does not go to Jerusalem, and Jesus does not go to the temple, what would be considered the holiest of all places. All Jews would travel to go there numerous times, upwards of three times a year, to offer sacrifice and to, if you will, get God's attention. Of all the places for the Son of God, God's only begotten Son, to preach the greatest sermon ever preached, it's, it, I believe that there's some significance here. Where he did not preach it speaks volumes. Where he did preach it also speaks volumes. He preached it for the everyday person out at the Sea of Galilee. What Jesus was, we're going to see is he's emphasizing, and when we look through this, and you're going to see in a moment, when he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, what we're seeing is this, that Jesus is emphasizing that Jesus did not come for religion. Jesus did not come to continue on the traditions of religion, but Jesus came for a true relationship and fellowship with each individual. Are you with me this morning? And so he's kind, of, he's kind of making a statement. I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm not preaching this sermon in Jerusalem. I'm going to preach it for the everyday people out here on, on the mountainside. And I'm not going to, to the place of religion. I'm going to come out here and tell you that I have come that you can have a relationship with the Father. And it is not about religion. And so this Sermon on the Mount, he gives us the Beatitudes. And here's really what, if you get nothing else, I want you to get this. Is that when you think about what Jesus does, when he preaches his sermon, is he begins to address the heart, our attitude. He addresses the heart, he addresses the inward man. Long before he begins to talk about how you're supposed to carry yourselves and conduct yourselves and live your life, Jesus said, I am far more concerned with your heart. I am more concerned about your attitude. Now, do not miss this because, listen to me, attitude is everything. Did you get that? Say it with me. Attitude is everything. It really is. 
It's all about the attitude. You see, too many people are only concerned about the external, what's going on in the outside, and how you conduct your life, so to speak. What's amazing to me, and we may not even get to point number one, because this attitude part is huge. Because Jesus did not begin preaching saying, don't do this and do this and don't do that. And he doesn't have a list of all the do's and the don'ts. Are you with me this morning? The very first thing he says is this. I am concerned about what your heart is like. I'm concerned about your your spirit. I'm concerned about your attitude because attitude is everything. Your attitude will determine your actions. He says, what's going on in the inside will come out. And so his entire beginning of this sermon, he says, I'm going to teach you these, these beatitudes. The attitude is important. One person coined them as the beautitudes. The beautitudes. You see, attitude is everything. Our attitude is a man, will, will be manifested in the things that we do in our lives. It will be manifested in our actions. My father used to say it like this growing up. He would say, you need an attitude adjustment. Have you ever heard that? And I remember my dad would say, "You need, son, you need an attitude adjustment. And I'd be like, you know. And I used to say, I hate it when he says, I hate it. I hate it like that. I just hate that stupid. Oh, you need an attitude adjustment. Then I became a father, <laughs> and then I had a son, and then I had a daughter, and then I have another uh, daughter, and then a son. And you know what I do? All of a sudden, the one day I did it, I'll still never, I remember it. One time I said to my son, boy, you need an attitude adjustment. I was like, oh, stupid, 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 stupid. I did it. I said it. I've become my father. God help me. <laughs> I just wanted to go crawl in the hole. I'm like, I have become my father. Oh, my gosh. What have I done? Son, you need an attitude adjustment. How many of you are there, right? You've heard it. And it's probably true. We all need attitude adjustments. It's really literally what Jesus is saying to this crowd is you need an attitude adjustment. Your attitude will reflect in everything that you do in your life. Attitude is everything. You see, he starts with the heart condition. These attitudes or virtues, if you will. And these attitude will lead to action. Or let me say it like this. Your personality will lead to your performance. How you conduct your life. And so the rest of the chapters, he does talk about certain things, about, about life and finance. I mean, all kinds of things he does and how to deal with people. But I want you to understand what he addresses first. If we get nothing else today, that is this, that when Jesus preaches this sermon, he said, I am more concerned about your heart, what's going on in the inside. I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about your attitude more than anything else. Because if your attitude's right and you have the right kind of attitude, then everything else will fall into place. Does this make sense? You know, as a parent, we see that with our kids. And, you know, uh, it, it sounds crazy, but when you coach and coaching and working with youth, it's all about attitude. It really is. You know, as a parent, it's about attitude. It's kind of like this. If you, say, if you say to someone, hey, say to one of your kids, go clean your room. And they're like, oh, okay. And they go clean the room. You know, and you're like, you have a heart attack. That's a really good attitude. 
But how about this? What if you say to your kid, hey, go clean your room. Like, oh, I'm going to go clean my room. And they're kicking stuff. And they go in there. And they may get the job done. But, man, their attitude was awful. You're like, well, I cleaned your room. You're like, you're good at this, Pastor Joe. You're good at this. Oh, I have four kids. I'm just copying what they do. And their kids act just like their parents most of the time, right? But they're like, well, I cleaned it. What's the big deal? Well, your attitude has a lot to do with it. Come on now, right? And so Jesus, he really emphasizes the heart. By the way, can I just say this? At Red Hills, you know, as God has called me to be the pastor, we are more concerned about people's heart than we are to sit around and inspect at people everything that people do. Are you with me? Because our heart is far more important. So many, listen to me, you know why so many people want nothing to do with church and churches and, and, and call it what it is, religion? Because religion is simply this. We're only concerned about your performance, what you do and what you don't do. But oftentimes we, don't, we neglect that. Here's the thing. If a, person, if a person loves God and has a heart for God, all the other things will fall into place. And so many times, you know what, can I say this, and, and I don't believe that's the case here, but Red Hill should never be a place where someone comes in and people do this. Can I say this? You don't have to apologize for wearing a hat in church. It's cool. You can wear a hat in church. Do you know many churches I've seen many times where people literally take someone's hat and rip it off? You can wear a hat. Even the worship members wore hats. You can wear a hat in church. Yes, thank you, Luis. It was this for you. You can wear a hat in church. We're just glad that you're in church. Amen? You can bring your dog to church. We have a dog here in church today. And you know what? That dog is being counted in attendance, just so you know. It is. (laughs) It's okay. Understand this, this should be a place. We're not here to judge people. We don't know a person's heart. Only God knows a person's heart. We don't know where a person's come from, where they've been, what they've gone through, and how it is that God brought them here. We're just thankful that God brought them here. Amen? And we're concerned about a person's heart. And so understand this. It's not a place where we're going to judge people. It should never be that way. And understand, let God deal in the person's heart. You want to know something else you're going to hardly ever hear coming, me teaching and preaching? He's not here today. He's out of town. David's going to have a heart attack when he hears this or when he watches this. Because you know what? Most people who are involved in finance, they want the pastor to constantly beg and preach on stewardship and giving. you got to preach on giving, Pastor Joe. You got to preach on giving so the people give. You're going to hardly ever hear me preach on giving. You know why? Because if you love God, love Jesus, and you love your church, you're going to give. That's just the facts. Somebody say amen. amen. You don't have to hear it all the time. You don't have to hear it all the time. Once in a while, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it because it's going to be where we're at in the scriptures. But can I tell you something? If a person loves God and their heart's where it's supposed to be, you're not, they're going to want to give and they're going to be generous and they're going to be a, a person who wants to, to be a part of the work of God. Are you with me? So you're hardly going to have to hear about that. Because if we fall in love with Jesus, all the other things fall into place. If our heart's right with God, everything else falls into place. Amen? And so Jesus said this. Look at the, just one this morning. He starts, man, he starts hard and heavy. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this mean? He says, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, do you want your kingdom in heaven? Do you want to go to heaven? Literally, what he's saying is, do you want to go to heaven? How many of you want to go to heaven, by the way? You better want to go to heaven. <laughs> Amen. He says, if you want to go to heaven, he says, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. In essence, he gives us the key to salvation. The key to salvation is to be poor in spirit. Or poverty of spirit. Now let me emphasize this. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, or they shall inherit heaven. He said, blessed are the poor. Say it with me. In what? In spirit. You see, understand this. A person can be filthy rich and wealthy and still have a poverty of spirit. A person can be poor and have absolutely nothing but can still have a spirit of pride. Jesus said, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs, it's a promise, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus reminds every single one of them that they are, they are in poverty of spirit. And he said, if you don't come to a place where you're in poor in spirit or in poverty of spirit, the opposite of this is true. Then yours is not the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, understand, he's addressing a very tough crowd. He's addressing the religious people. And there's a lot of religious people in this crowd. And we're going to uh, see this in just a moment. But I want to share a couple of other scriptures. Because pride is something that God hates. God hates pride. Sometimes I'll say something like, I hate this. and they'll be. Have you ever known like those little children are just annoying? Oh, they're just annoying. You say, well, all children are annoying. Not all of them, but most of them. Anyway. Do you ever know those little annoying ones? You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, and I guess I'm getting comfortable here, but the little politically correct little children, the ones who've been just kind of brainwashed and spoon-fed, and, you know, and I'll say something like, oh, I just hate that, though. Hate is such an evil word. You shouldn't hate. I'm filled with the spirit right now, child, because (laughs) I'm thinking some really evil things right now. Hate is, you shouldn't hate. You shouldn't hate. Hate hate is wrong. Well, obviously you shouldn't hate people and hate certain, but there are some things you should hate. In fact, God hates things. Did you know that? That God, the God of love hates some things. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. God has a hatred for things. So there should be some things that we hate. There really should be. For example, in Proverbs 6, uh, Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, it says, there are six things the Lord hates. Do you see it? It's in the Bible. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. But notice the very first one. He says, haughty eyes. That's pride. Some versions say a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Before God even mentions murder, God says, I hate pride. God hates pride. He hates it. It's detestable to God. It was the first sin in the garden. We see that Satan, in many years before Lucifer, he fell because of his pride. Look at James 4, 6. It says this. Notice James. He says this, but he gives more grace. That is why the scripture says, James is quoting Solomon, and Solomon said this, that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor 
to the humble. God, think about this, God opposes. I get this idea of like a stiff arm. You know, the running back who's running the ball, and when the guy's getting ready to tackle him, he stiff arms him. He opposes him. He shuts him down. Listen, the scripture tells us that God hates Pride. Thank God, listen, opposes those who have a, a, a spirit of, 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 of haughtiness and pride and arrogance. Now, we have to understand, once again, as Jesus is teaching, there are many different demographics, many different groups of people out there listening to the sermon. And he's really addressing a certain group of people. And the group of people he's addressing were the religious people. Go with me to Luke. We're going to be in Luke just for a few moments. And we'll finish up in this, this chapter, in this passage. But in Luke 18, this is the group that Jesus is, is speaking to. In Luke 18, it's kind of three little sections I want to just very quickly hit. And it ties right into this. But he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that have poverty of spirit. And the best way to really look at this is to see the very words of Jesus himself. When he taught this. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, it says this. Notice, here's the key to the whole, really most of the chapter of Luke 18. He says this. To some who are confident in their own righteousness. Here's the pride. Here is someone who's not poor in spirit. They're confident in their own righteousness. And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. He's going to tell this story. And here's the story Jesus told. Two men went up to where? The temple. There's that holy place in Jerusalem to pray. One a Pharisee. Now he's starting to, now we see who he's addressing. He's talking to the religious people. He says, the one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this, almost like pointing the finger, this tax collector notice what he does here i fast twice a week i give a tenth of all i get he gives a tenth of everything but notice what happens but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but he beat his breast and said god have mercy on me a sinner And listen to the words of Jesus. Let this sink in. Let this resonate. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home. Look at this word, justified. When we think of the word justified, we think of what? Just as if I had never sinned before God. He went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you get this picture do you understand where Jesus, when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are, have a poverty of spirit, a spiritual poverty, compared to the other, this man who said, I am righteous, I do all of these things. Again, what did we say earlier? Attitude is what? Everything. Attitude is everything. You see, this man fasted, he prayed, he gave a tenth of everything he had, he considered himself to be righteous and holy, and here he came into the presence of God, and his attitude was something like this, God, you're so lucky that you can have me. And the other comes in with the attitude and says, I do, I'm not even worthy of being in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus says that the one, the one 
went home empty, if you will. The one went away still condemned in his sin. And the other, the one who came in humility, he went home justified just as if he had never sinned. Understand this. Listen, please get this. There is nothing that you and I can offer God to obtain salvation. There is nothing that you and I can do to be good enough to get into heaven. Understand, so many people have this twisted view of how God works. They have this idea that literally that when we stand before God, there's these scales. And when we stand before God, it's, it's the good and the evil that we've done. And so if I go to church and if I tithe and if I do good and if I help little old ladies across the street, you know, whatever that looks like, if I do all these good things... And I don't do as much as, you know, over here the bad, that somehow the good is going to outweigh the bad. And somehow, I'm going to tip the scales and, oh, I'm going to get in. That's not how it works. By the way, can I say this? Red Hills cannot get you to heaven. Red Hills, being a member at Red Hills, will not get anyone into heaven. You guys got that? Can't. Being a member of a church or a specific church... Can I tell you something? Getting baptized cannot get you into heaven. I'll ask people, there's times I've asked people, do you know where you go when you die? Well, what, a lot of times it's I hope so. Or some will even say, well, probably heaven. And they'll say, well, why? Well, because, well, I remember this church. I got baptized. I give. And they fill in all these things. Can I tell you something? I, I'm not trying to be mean here. That is not poverty of spirit. You are bragging about your righteousness and you think your righteousness will get you in. And Jesus said, our righteousness cannot get us into the kingdom. Are you with me this morning? Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ can get us in. That's why we need Jesus. Amen. It's all about Jesus. He doesn't stop there. Notice what he does. Look at this this beautiful analogy. He's still in the same chapter in Luke 18. Look at the next passage quickly he says this this is not a coincidence this is not an accident the context is so important Luke records that immediately something happens people were also also it's a continuation from where we just were people are also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them to bless them to pray over them and when the disciples saw this they rebuked them But Jesus called the children, notice this, he called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God, notice this, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, unless anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, or we could say it like this, like that baby, the little baby, that infant that was brought to him, will never Enter it. You will never enter into heaven unless you come as this little child. Now, let me say something here. Because I want to take this one step deeper. Most of the time what we say is this. Is that we say, well, we have to have faith as a what? Say it with me. We usually say it. Faith as a child. And that is true. That's important. But Jesus is going much deeper than this. Jesus is going much deeper. Obviously... What we see is this. In the context, what is Jesus speaking about? He's speaking about humility. Are you with me? He said, you cannot get there on your own. You cannot do it. And he's speaking about humility. 
And then he, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a story for those people who think you can somehow work your way in. You can take your righteousness and think that you can get in. You think your baptism will get you in. You think your membership will get you in. And by the way, you can't get baptized for relatives to get them in. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You can't give enough to get yourself in. You can't give enough to a church to get yourself in. You can't show up to church enough to get yourself in. You can't fast enough to get yourself in. Are you with me, guys? This is what the Bible says. I'm preaching Jesus, the words of Jesus Christ. If that offends people, then they can take it up with the Lord himself. Because listen to me, you will not stand before anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says this, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is Lord. And he is Lord of all. And so it does not matter my opinion or someone else's opinion or Red Hill's opinion, the opinion of this church or any other church in Cedar City or Iron County. It doesn't matter the opinion of those who call themselves leaders. It only matters the opinion of Jesus Christ himself. And he said the only way you can enter into it, heaven, is if you come as a little baby. Now think about this thought. Because it's deep. It's deep. I wish we, I had the nerve to do it today. I almost brought a doll in here, but... <laughs> but my daughter wouldn't let me have it. She, she's feisty. If we bring a baby... Now follow me here. I'm going to really... If we bring a baby, and we were to bring a, a baby, a weak old baby, and we lay this baby right here, and we step away... Let me ask you something. And we step away completely. And we say, here's the thing. You're not to touch it, to nurture it, to love it. If it messes its diaper, you can't change it. When it cries for hunger and it cries out, you cannot feed it. You can do nothing to help this child. You have to set the baby here and step away and do nothing. Let me ask you something. What can that infant do for itself? Can you say that again? What can that infant do for itself? What is it? Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. How long will that infant survive without someone else intervening? How long? A few days? Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He uses, he's talking and he gave this parable and he gives this story. And then as he gives this story of those who think that they can somehow get themselves in, here comes a group of women with little babies and infants and little toddlers. And it literally says babies. And they bring the babies. And at first the disciples are saying, stay away. And Jesus says, no, let them come. And he says, unless you humble yourself. And he, and he, he doesn't say humble yourself. And he doesn't say have childlike faith, although that's important. That's really not what Jesus said. We sometimes say things that Jesus didn't say. Jesus said, you have to become like this little baby. What did Jesus mean by that? What he is saying is this, that you have to be poor in spirit. You have to realize 
realize that you are at poverty of spirit, that there is nothing, get this, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn eternal life, to earn the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing that we can do. We are in complete poverty. We are spiritually bankrupt. We need intervention, and that intervention was the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And he shed his blood on the cross. we got to finish. But notice this. It doesn't stop. Look at this next passage. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, in verse number 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Ooh, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except Except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. And do not murder. And do not steal. And do not give false testimony. And honor your, honor your father and your mother. Now notice what this man says. All these I have kept since I was a boy. So let me just ask in the context. What do you think this guy's trusting in? To get himself in. What do you think? His works. He's a good person. I'm successful. Now notice what happens. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. By the way, don't you think Jesus knew this? Can I throw something else out there? Jesus lists a bunch of the commandments. Do you know which one Jesus left out when he read off the list? He said, you need to do this and do this and do this and do this. And the man said, well, I did all of those. You know, there's one that Jesus intentionally left out. Casual reading, you wouldn't even catch it. You know what it is? Basically, covetousness, greed. Jesus left that one out. And the man said, well, I've done. I've done all of these things. I'm a pretty good guy. And then Jesus said, oh, the one I left out, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and needy and then follow me. I know what some are saying. Well, that, does that mean I have to sell everything and I can buy it, earn it? No, that's not at all what it meant. What Jesus was doing is Jesus, look at the context. What is, he, what is, Jesus, what is Jesus trying to, to point out that's the man's what? It's pride. Because notice what happens. He says, then do this and follow me, and you'll have treasure. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he's a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard these asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. The whole point that Jesus was emphasizing was this, is it wasn't that this man was rich and that God was mad because he was rich. It was this, is the man was trusting in his treasure. He was trusting in his riches. He was trusting in his own works. Are you with me? He was trusting in the fact that I'm a good person. And not only am I a good person, I'm successful. I have it all together. You know what I've learned is this, is that God oftentimes uses brokenness to bring us to Christ. It's when we're broken and when we realize that, man, 
I have messed up. (laughs) And you want to know something? We've all messed up. Amen? It's true. There's nothing. There's nothing that I have that I can somehow obtain heaven. It's what, why Jesus Christ came. We were discussing this, and I'm finished. My son and I, we, were, we went to Adams Road, and on our way home, we were talking and discussing. And my son brought this up, and he said, you know, he said, he goes, you know what really gets me? He says, there's all this religion, and everyone's always talking about religion, and, you know, and getting into heaven, and being baptized, and all this stuff. And, and you know, and it's so true. He goes, the thief on the cross pretty much just really kind of just ruins all of that for everybody. Because you want to know something, there was a thief on the cross who was there because he was guilty of a crime. Jesus was innocent. He was taking the sin of you and I upon himself. Amen? And he was our sacrificial lamb. But when we think about the thieves on the cross, there were two, two thieves who had lost everything. And the one was still filled with pride. Are you with me? Still filled with pride. And he cursed and he swore and he mocked Christ. If you were to read the context carefully, you'll find both of them were like that at first. Read it carefully. It's in there. But later, finally, the one thief came to this realization of who Jesus really was because he, could just, he watched how he conducted himself. And he said, you know, he said, you know, you are the son of God. And he said, as we, we think about this, he looks to Christ. He says this. Will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? And what, what did Jesus say to this man? He said, go home and get baptized and you will come into the kingdom. Go join a church and you will join the kingdom. Go, go make up for all the evil things that you have done and you will join the kingdom. No, what did Jesus say? Don't you love this? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. What happened to that man? Listen, that man, as he hung on the cross, realized he was spiritually bankrupt. Poverty. I have nothing to offer and nothing to give. I have nothing. But I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, because you are the son of God. Can I tell you something? That is why Jesus Christ came. Amen. Because we are all spiritually bankrupt we are beggars spiritually speaking we are in poverty and if we come to that reality here's the thing how he says blessed it's a paradox all these they're all paradoxes because the way god works is he says if you want to be happy then give he says here if you want to be happy then have poverty of spirit you want joy then to be have a then than be spiritually bankrupt. Because think about it. As he gave the, the parable, there were two people who said, that came and asked, if you will, for forgiveness, so to speak. And the one comes with a bad attitude and says, I'm just so glad I'm not as ungodly as all these other people around me. The Bible says he went home and he did not have the forgiveness of God. But the one said, I am not worthy. I am spiritually bankrupt. I am poor in spirit. And the Bible says that he was able to go away joyfully because his sins were forgiven. Are you with me, church? You want to know something? It all starts with the attitude. Attitude is everything. And isn't it interesting? The very first thing Jesus addresses is our self-righteous attitudes. 
that somehow I can be righteous, I can be holy, I can be good enough. May Red Hills Church never have a self-righteous attitude. Amen? We are a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. Would you agree with that? Amen. Let's stand together and let's have a word of prayer. Ask God's blessing. We are sinners.